Listener Production. What does it take to be a good parent? The idea of being a good parent is so complicated and so riven with problems that I don't even like talking about it. Are you a good parent when your children are obedient, but if you've got children who decide that they don't want to do what you said, now now you're not a good parent? What about if you've got a child with additional needs? Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're going to look into what parents can do to help their kids thrive. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Several years ago, Warren Can from the Parenting Research Centre was presenting at a conference and he said that he believed that this generation of parents were the best, most engaged, most involved generation of parents in history. And you could feel the sense of relief in the room. It was like parents had never been told they were doing a good job. And let's face it, Today, parents try so hard to get it right, but we often feel like we're doing it all wrong. And that, on top of the physical nature of parenting, is exhausting. Dr. Justin Coulson is a parenting educator and the author of The Parenting Revolution, A Guide to Raising Resilient Kids. And he has some ideas on how we can get it right without so much heartache. Hi, Justin. How are you? Siobhan, it's so good to be with you. Look, before we start, I have to say I read somewhere that you're about to be a grandfather. Surely you're too young for that. I'll take that as a compliment, but it's true. (laughs) My oldest daughter and her husband, uh, they've been married for like four years now. And uh, yeah, baby number one for them is along along kind of soonish. And so my wife, Kylie, and I are trying to get our head around what that means. And I got to tell you, it feels pretty exciting. I bet it does. I, look, I feel like we'll have a whole other interview to do about being a grandparent, but let's concentrate on your book. Do you agree with Warren that this generation of parents is the best we've seen so far? I'm really hesitant to try and compare generations. I love the feeling of support that that offers to parents. I love the way it makes parents feel like, oh, the, the relief, the reassurance, I'm doing an okay job. I actually wrote this book, The Parenting Revolution, off the back of season one of Parental Guidance, Channel 9 TV show, a whole bunch of parents coming in saying the different parenting styles and trying to work out how those parenting styles affect the way the kids behave. What happens with the kids when you're this parenting style versus that, tiger parent versus free range versus helicopter, whatever it might be. And what happened at the end of that cliffhanger season finale was our tiger parents Kevin and Debbie were sitting around the campfire they'd had a big day with their family they were reflecting on what it was to be a parent and and Debbie asked Kevin this question she looked at him and said am I a good mum and I remember hearing her say that and I just thought oh my goodness Debbie is speaking for every parent in the country right now who looks at their kids and goes oh am I doing this right <laughs> like am I going okay because parenting is so hard and we just invest so much of our hearts and our souls and our minds and our dollars and I mean we put everything into it and we just want to know am I doing it right so I love what Warren has said because it it gives parents that sense that oh, okay I guess maybe we're heading in the right direction and, and quite honestly when you look at the history of parenting uh, it's generally a story of unrelenting cruelty and so I think that as we 
as we look at parents today, we're probably doing a better job than parents have historically simply because we, we really do love our kids and we treat them well. We, we try very, very hard to raise them well. We give them resources and opportunities. I love that. Now, the one, the one thing that I will pull out of that that I think is worth a conversation as well, though, uh, is he talked about how we're the most involved parents, and that's a double-edged sword. It's great to be involved, but the kind of involvement that we have matters a lot. And that's very much what my book is about as well. Well, talk to me about that um, because most of us probably feel that to be a good parent, we need to be really involved. We need to be going to every cross-country carnival and making the book week costume weeks in advance and making sure that they're eating all their vegetables. What do you think of that level of expectation of how we should be involved? I might be a failure as a parent if that's how we're measuring it. I, I've never made a book week <laughs> costume and, and I never plan on doing it. I mean, I just, I'm not that guy. I, having said that, my wife Kylie is that girl and she has made some stupendously brilliant book week costumes over the years. And I have been to plenty of cross countries. But, but, but even the idea of being a good parent. Uh, so when, when our kids are doing the right thing, when our kids are being obedient and compliant, does that mean that we're good parents? because we've got, quote-unquote, good kids. What about if you've got a child with additional needs? They're not going to be nearly as compliant as other kids. Does that mean that you're not a good parent because your child isn't as compliant as other kids? Like, what if your child is brilliant through those first five, six, seven years of life, and then something happens around mid-childhood, around eight, nine, ten, or maybe in their teen years, and all of a sudden they become hashtag demon child? Does that mean that you were a good parent and now you're a lousy parent? So just the idea of, am I a good parent? It's such a flawed concept. It's such a dangerous uh, comparison tool that we can start to get ourselves into into. What I think we want to be looking at is how am I doing in terms of creating an environment that supports my child's basic psychological needs? That's what the parenting revolution is really about. There are three basic psychological needs that kids have. And if we can support them, then our children are much more likely to thrive, be resilient and have high levels of well-being. Those three basic psychological needs are a sense of what researchers call relatedness, a feeling of competence or capability, and a, a a belief that I am in control of my own life in some small way. And I'll talk about them more in, in more detail in a sec, but this comes back to your question just now and also the question about what Warren said, this question of involvement and how we should be involved. Being involved doesn't necessarily mean doing all the stuff. Being involved definitely doesn't mean sitting down and saying to your children, where are you up to with your homework? Do I need to send that email about that thing that happened at school with that girl that said that thing to you today? Uh, what happened with the B minus on your report card? I thought you were going to get a, an A minus. This is not good enough. I obviously need to complain to the school about the teacher. They don't know how to mark. Like That's being involved, <laughs> right? But there's a lot of control around that, Siobhan. It's, it's really yeah. unhealthy form of involvement. It's it's what we call controlling involvement. There is a different kind of involvement. That's the involvement that says, hey, how was your day? Tell me about what's going on. Do you need any support at the moment? That, that involvement where, where we just sort of connect and say, I, I see you, I hear you, I value you, I care about you. That's the kind of involvement that matters. I wrote about a study in the book, and, and maybe I can quickly share this with you because it illustrates it so, so supremely well. There was a, a wonderful study done in the mid-1980s by a lady called Wendy Grolnick. She's at Clark University in the United States, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And she, with her colleagues, Lisa Bridges and Anne Frody, got 42 mums, one at a time, to step into the laboratory with their one-year-old. 
And they gave them a toy and said, we're going to film you playing with your child with this toy for the next three minutes. Now, you think about this for a sec. You've shown up at the psych lab. You know that you're about to be evaluated on how you play with your child and this toy. They're going to film it for three minutes. They're going to deconstruct it, pull it apart, judge you on your parenting. How are you going to interact with your child on the toy? And what they found was that parents had a whole range of ways that they interacted. There were some parents who sat beside their child and said, no, not like that, like this. Oh, look, it does this as well. Now, if you can just pick up that and push it through there, well done, you did it, well done, congratulations, good job, you're such a smart kid. So there was a high level of involvement from those parents, but you might call that controlling involvement. And I think that's because the parents were kind of going, um, I'm being assessed here and I need to look good. But also because we intrinsically want our children to thrive, to do well, to look good, to look smart. But then there were other parents at the other end of the continuum who would sit beside their child and they were still involved because they love their little one-year-old. But instead of telling them how to do it and why to do it and no, not like that, like this, what they did was they'd say, oh, what have you found? Or what can it do? Oh, show me this. What else does it do? Do you like that? Would you like me to help or do you want to keep doing it on your own? And so there was this supportive kind of involvement rather than this controlling kind of involvement. Once the three minutes were up, Wendy Gronick and her colleagues, they said to the mum, okay, mum, can you just go sit over there in the corner and pick up that book and have a little flick through the book? We want you to be totally disengaged from your child. And they gave the one-year-old another little toy to play with. Very similar, but not quite the same. And they observed the child playing with the toy. And here's what they found. The kids whose mums were controlling in the way that they interacted with the child and the toy, do it like this, no, not like that, that that kind of thing. Those kids tended to persist with playing with the toy for a much shorter period of time. They were less creative in the way that they played with it. They didn't have the motivation to do it. Whereas the parents whose kids had been allowed to explore on their own, well, they got the new toy and they were like, well, here's another toy that I can explore. And they, they persisted, high levels of task persistence. They were really creative with what they were doing like they really wanted to do it. Similar study was done a few years later by a guy called Ed Deasy with six-year-olds. Pretty much the same study, but just older kids and a different toy, same outcomes. So when we talk about having the most involved generation of parents ever, as Warren Can said at that conference, um, the kind of involvement matters. And if we've got controlling helicopter-style parenting going on, then I would actually say that's, well, the research is pretty clear. It's not nearly as good for the kids as the kind of involvement that just says, hey, I'm here for you. It's kind of like we're having this conversation right now and you can see on on our video link, Siobhan, that there's a pot plant here in the corner Mm -hmm. behind me. As parents, it's really good if we can be kind of pot plant parents where we're, we're there, we're making the environment nicer but we're not necessarily doing anything unless our children need us. And even if they need us, what we usually do is we walk over and say, huh, you seem to be having a tough time. How can I help? And when they say, mm. I need you to do this, you can say, wow, wouldn't it be great if I could do that for you? How about if I help you? And then we get them to do it with our support. That sort of parenting, that sort of involvement, oh, wow. I mean, you talk about great parenting, that's got to be right up the top. It's interesting you say that about the pot plant because I remember someone saying to me once that, a sign you had good parents growing up was not knowing you had good parents because it was just yeah. they you you didn't you didn't know how good they were. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but it makes complete sense to me now. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a really nice way of saying be there and be the support, but let the kids have the autonomy. I mean, I mentioned those three basic psychological needs. Think about what happens, Siobhan, when you're having a hard time. Let's say you're at work, you're having a really hard time with it, and you, your boss walks over to you and says, Siobhan, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. 
It's like this. Here, watch me do it again. Okay, A, B, C. These are the three steps. There's not a lot to it, but obviously you need some practice. So just do those three things, okay? And you need to do them every time and I don't want to have to keep on getting involved. Now, Mm. now, when that happens, what does that do to your relationship with your boss? I mean, do you look at your boss and think, oh, you're so amazing? (laughs) No. (laughs) They're a micromanager. I need you in my life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're a micromanager. So it's bad for the relationship. What does it do, what does it do to your, your sense of competence and capability? You don't think you can do it. Perfect. And the third thing, your sense of control over your own life and your environment, what's happened? Well, you've got none because they're taking control. Like they're deciding things for you. So the parenting revolution is saying – how do we help our kids when they're struggling with something in a way that supports those three needs, that sense of relationship, that sense of competence and that sense of autonomy? If we can do that and not be the bad boss or the bad parent, then we create an environment that helps our children to thrive and become resilient. So imagine this. Imagine the boss walks over and says, Siobhan, I saw that you're struggling with that thing that we were talking about a couple of days ago and a few days before that as well. It's a really tricky thing, isn't it? Already, how are you feeling about me? Oh, yeah, that you're listening, you're paying attention, you care. Yeah, Yeah. so the relationship's there because I care and I haven't judged you for it. I said, it's really tricky, isn't it? Like I'm actually on your side and I'm building the relationship and then I say to you, well, you know this is an essential element of what we do here and it's so important that you get it right. So I've explored how you're feeling about it and I've explained my expectation. And now I'm going to empower you. I'm going to say, so is there anything that I can do right now to support you? Is there anything that you need so that we can work on this? Would you like some more time or what, what do you need? And now I'm giving you autonomy. I'm letting you come up with a solution. You might say, actually, can you show me one more time? Or you might say, I know that I'm so close. Just give me another five minutes and I reckon I can get it. But what I've done is I've nurtured our relationship. I've made sure that you understand exactly what the expectations are, but I believe in your ability to figure it out and make the appropriate choices. So when we explore, explain and empower, what we're doing is we're satisfying and supporting those three basic psychological needs. And that's not what we normally do with our kids. Normally we do things to them rather than work with them. Parenting revolution is about saying, let's be involved in supportive ways. Let's meet our children's basic psychological needs and let's watch them thrive. I think that parents would be listening to this going, okay, uh, explore, explain, empower. Sounds amazing. Also sounds time-consuming. So if you have a child and you're working and you've got everyone, no one's just got one thing, right? And they're thinking, how do I do that all the time? Like how do I find time? Because you know kids, like it starts the minute they wake up because they can't find the right socks and it ends right before they go to bed because they can't fall asleep or they can't find their pyjamas or whatever it might be. Those are very basic examples there. But what do you say to those parents who are like, oh, I love the idea of that, but I just can't say that I'll be able to implement it every time? Yeah, two things. First of all, I hear you. And and I'm not a perfect parent. Uh, In fact, I got into this whole parenting thing because I was so bad at it. Uh, And there are some times where they're like, like literally, just just the other day, one of my kids was – doing something dumb and um, so I've, we've got six kids across like 15 years so my youngest child is still in primary school and uh, we've got two two kids in high school, one at uni and then two that have left home and this child was doing something that was just dumb and annoying and I know I'm supposed to explore, explain and empower but you know what I did Siobhan? What? I said, would you just cut it out? I'm tired. I don't have time to do all the parenting stuff. Just, <laughs> just 
fix the problem, <laughs> would you? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, did it work? Again, you, well, yeah, it kind of did. It, it kind of did. Not well enough, but it worked. It worked sufficiently that I was able to just go, oh, okay, we've we've gotten over the hurdle. But I think the most important thing is, what does it cost you? To do it, okay, it costs a bit of time and sometimes that's challenging. But what does it cost you to not do it? Like when the alternative is that we're going to do things to our kids, that we're going to rouse on the kids, that we're going to I don't know, get them in trouble, send them to their room, remove privileges from them, do all the stuff that parents have been doing for decades and decades and decades, centuries. If we're going to do all that, what is the cost? And I'll tell you what the cost is. There are not enough generations to erase the trauma that has been done to children over the years in the name of expedience and in just getting things done and saying, I'm the parent, do as you're told, I don't have time to figure this out properly. We're all carrying the burden, the, the shadow has been cast from our childhood when our parents have been like that with us. And we need to be better. Our kids deserve better. We love our kids so much. We want to be better. The trick is actually figuring out how and and. I really get what you're saying when you say, but I don't have time. So first off, when you've got really young kids, it's not going to be a big deal. You can step through this in like 30 seconds. Hey, kiddo, you seem really sad. Can we explore why you're upset about leaving the park right now? Can we talk about why you don't want to go to bed right now? You worry about the monsters under the bed. Is that what it is or is it something else? And so you can explore their world, which is just, I mean, it's great parenting, right? And you can do that in about 10, 20 seconds. When it comes to the explain part, that takes about four seconds. I know that you wish you could stay up all night, but it is bedtime. Done. And then the empower part. This is the real powerful thing. This is where we collaborate on an answer together. And you can do this with the three-year-old. You can say, so I'm here right now. What do you think we can do to help you to feel good about going to bed? Or what do you think we can do right now to make leaving the park feel good so that you know we can come back again? And so what we then do is we work on this solution together. We problem solve together. And usually... You can come up with an answer real fast. Now, if none of this is working, it's because your child's just too emotional. And I think this is one of the biggest mistakes parents make, Siobhan. I mean, you've had so many conversations with so many brilliant people over the years. You would know this. We don't have to fix the problem right now. And yet so many parents feel like the kids are messing up or this is happening and I've got to fix it right now. It's important that nobody's being hurt. It's important that nothing's being broken. But once you've made sure that everyone's safe and everything's safe – it's totally fine to say, we're not going to talk about this right now because everyone's pretty cranky, but we'll have a chat about it a little bit later. And you can come back to them 10 minutes later or that night at bedtime or maybe on the weekend when you're having a chocolate milkshake together and everyone's feeling calm. Because remember, high emotions equals low intelligence, right? When kids are really emotional, they do and say dumb things. And when we as parents are really emotional, we do and say dumb things as well. So we want our emotions to be down so that we can have our intelligence up. And we just say to the kids, hey, the other night we had that thing happen. Do you remember that? And then we explore what was going on there. We explain our perspective. It's not okay to hit your sister. And then we empower them. What do you reckon we can do next time so it doesn't happen again? And then we come up with those problem-solving collaborative solutions together. This brings me to my uh, last question, which is actually in the start of your book. But I, I found the whole discussion that you wrote about this in the book really interesting and relevant. Talk to me about happiness and parenting because everything you talked about then requires effort, right? And yeah. I'm sure there's not many parents who think parenting is easy. So talk to me about your thoughts on these two things together. Okay. So 
parents are tired, they're exhausted, they're burned out. And yet if we ask parents if parenting makes them happy, they usually say, of course, I love my kids and they're the best and parenting makes me happy. One of the biggest surprises that I had when I was doing my PhD way back in the back in the olden days, uh, since the <laughs> 1980s, we've had research. In fact, 1978, I think the data was collected for the first time that shows that depending on how you measure happiness, um, happiness and parenting don't mix. In fact, as you have children, your happiness goes down and it makes sense, right? I mean, you, you hold this precious baby for the first time and you look into their eyes and their face and you just think, oh my goodness, it doesn't get any better than this. And within about three hours, you realize you were right because you're sleep deprived and you've got labor pains that are well, post labor pains. And then you get mastitis. And then as your children grow up, you, you, you can't get up and go and have brunch anymore like you used to. And packing the car takes an hour so that you can just go down the road and family holidays cost a fortune and that you end up with neurological or psychological or emotional difficulties that the kids are having or there's bullying at school or learning disorders. Do you know what I mean? Like happiness down the tubes. And yet that moment, Siobhan, where your child looks at you and they just say, mommy, I love you. I'm getting all weepy just saying it. There's not even words. There's no words to describe how that feels. And so when psychologists measure parenting and happiness, they find that parenting makes us miserable because we're tired and we're poor. <laughs> <laughs> right? but, but at the same time, parents don't relate to that research because when that child walks in and gives you that, that big morning snuggle in bed or when your child comes in and says, you know that thing that I worked so hard on, I got an A or I won the cross country. Those feelings that you have, the meaning that comes from it, the, the reward is so transcendent that it kind of it just papers over all of the messy stuff, like the fact that you can't get them to pick up their shoes no matter how many times you ask. It deals with all of that in such profound ways. So, yeah, the research around this is kind of ugly and it doesn't feel very nice. And yet when you talk to parents about those moments, we, we just know that even though parenting doesn't necessarily make us quote-unquote happy all the time, oh my goodness, it is the most profoundly rewarding thing that we can do. What a perfect place to end this chat. Justin, thank you so much for your time today. You got me crying. I need to go and get the tissue now. <laughs> That's Dr. Justin Coulson. His book is called The Parenting Revolution. And to find the book, check out the links in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.